Copper Shores Community Health Foundation is proud to introduce you to Do Good Volunteer of the Month, Pudi Akbar. Pudi is a very dedicated, kind, hardworking, and humble person. She is constantly active in the community, helping people in need. She is extremely passionate about fostering a love of learning and reading wherever she goes. She is the paragon of everything a volunteer should be. If you know an incredible volunteer like Pudi, go to coppershores.org slash do good and nominate them to be recognized as the next Do Good in the Copper Country Volunteer of the Month. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Our program brought to you by the Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. You can find out more about them at coppershores.org. Healthcare continues to be an issue, not only here in the Copper Country, but across the entire Upper Peninsula. And basically, even though we like to think of ourselves as being uh, kind of isolated, and to some extent we are, what happens in healthcare across the peninsula affects us here in the Copper Country. And I thought I would welcome in Elise Burr from Northern Michigan University's Center for Rural Health to talk about healthcare, how we are working to attract healthcare providers and increase services here in the area. Elise, welcome to Copper Country Today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. We are a little bit isolated, I suppose, here in the Copper Country, but um, everybody else in the UP is kind of isolated too, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, we live in a region that's, you know, the the farthest extreme rural that we have for the state. And and when we talk to people downstate, they say, oh, well, you know, from your place to Marquette, that's not all that bad. It's just a little bit across the peninsula. Well, no, it's a couple hours or more. And we've been handicapped here for many years because so many things that have to be done medically uh, haven't been able to be done here. We've made some progress on that over the years, fewer trips to Marquette, but we still have to go there a lot, don't we? Yeah, it it is one of the popular spaces, you know, when it comes to certain levels of care. Um, And and that's something that I think, you know, that's just how it's been for years. Uh, I will say that one thing that has helped um, tremendously was the further development of telehealth services that really got an increase um, during the pandemic year. Um, You know, it was at that point that legislation changed. There started to be more reimbursement for telehealth services, and that really provided some assistance, uh, especially in the rural area like ours. Is that going to continue? I saw Jack Bergman made a a speech on the floor of Congress the other day talking about how some of the allowances for telehealth, uh, some of the permissions for telehealth that were in put in place for the pandemic are about to expire and he wants them to be able to continue. Are we going to see a cutback in that if Congress doesn't act? Uh, well, I suspect that uh, they're actually going to look legislatively, legislatively at trying to continue to support telehealth services just because I think it's really proven the value the last several years. Um, so I, I suspect it's something that people are going to be fighting to try to keep. I've been watching with great interest a program that uh, has recently been implemented in Barriga County at Barriga County Memorial Hospital and also extended out to the Barriga County Sheriff's Department for telehealth uh, treatment for mental illness and assessment for mental illness because we don't have anybody uh, here in the Copper Country, at least not in Barriga County, that you can call in and have them there within five minutes to address somebody who walks into the emergency room with a serious mental problem or somebody who is causing a, a disturbance in the community. And now they're going to be able to access these experts, these doctors, via telehealth, via tablet or laptop computer and make instant assessments. We will see more of this, I think? 
yes, I anticipate that we will. It's probably easier, too, with mental health than it is with some of the physical types of things. Mental health uh, basically being mostly talk and discussion. I, I still haven't figured out how anybody takes my pulse for a physical over, <laughs> over the Internet, or, or is that possible now? Uh, well, there are some, there is some equipment that exists that you can do some appointments by telehealth, um, and it depends on the type of appointment, of course. Um, you know, when possible, it's always encouraged to see your primary care provider in person, but there are times that, you know, that can really stipulate whether or not you're able to make that trip. And so when they have equipment to be able to do more detailed type of appointments by telehealth, you know, that's the next best thing. And of course, I suppose there are two levels to this. One is you go to your provider or to the hospital and they engage with the telehealth provider. So they've got a trained nurse or doctor on staff sitting next to you as the expert looks over, the specialist looks over what's going on. The other level, and I keep getting bombed with stuff about this uh, email and social media and such, is telehealth companies that want me to become their patient. And I'm thinking, boy, oh boy, maybe that works for about half of what they do. But is is that something that we really could ever get to where I might have a doctor's firm that's in Phoenix, Arizona, and and is trying to to deal with me on a day-to-day basis? Well, you know, that's the nature of the beast, and I'm I'm not necessarily in support of that. Um, I think it, it's great to have somebody local, you know, who you can rely on, who gets to know you. You know, generations are changing a little bit. There are, there are providers who've delivered family members, you know, for the same family for generations, and you get to know a family's medical history and the things that can carry down through genetics. Um, I, I'm personally more in favor of that, of course. Uh, one of the concerns I had initially about telehealth was how much industry in the healthcare services would be taken out of the UP, because I think we really need to balance, you know, what we're able to do at an economic level on the Upper Peninsula and what's in our region's best interest, as well as the health and well-being of our residents. So there's really a fine line with that. What we've kind of seen is some of the generational changes is that, Younger people want care immediately, and by just dialing into something online, they've been able to access a service when they felt they needed it. But what's happening is they're not necessarily establishing with a a primary care provider where you focus on preventing health issues versus just addressing something when it occurs. And so I know there's a national trend right now. I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was something like, People who are 30 years of age and younger right now, there's a high percentage that have never established care with a, a primary care provider. And that's concerning to me because I think we're going to see some some changes maybe in some health issues, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road that could have been prevented now, but because they didn't establish care you know, this is the level that it's gotten to. Yeah, and I can attest to that from my own medical history. I'm, you know, in my late 60s now. I've had a lot of doctor's appointments over the years, and numerous times my doctor has said to me, uh, you know, Todd, you need to start being aware of this, or you need to start being aware of that, or I'd prescribe this for you, but I know that you're allergic to penicillin or something of that nature, the type of thing that a fly-by-night hit-and-miss doctor is not going to know. 
Right. You know, I always, <laughs> I've done this for a few years, but one of the things I always compare it to is, you know, taking care of a vehicle. You, you get an oil change on a regular basis. You take your car in for a checkup on a regular basis. The concept is you don't just drive it till it breaks down. You try to take care of it. And I think people need to really um, engage in that kind of, you know, activity when it comes to their own health as well. All of that having been said, there is certainly a shortage nationally of medical providers. We're short of doctors. We're short of nurses. Certainly, we see the nursing shortage, especially here in the Copper Country through the pandemic. A lot of uh, people who were involved in that stepped out of the business, either retired or went a different direction. How do we keep that care here at home when everybody is competing for these people across the nation? And many of them, areas I suspect, can offer them a lot more money than we can. Yeah, there's there's a number of things that can happen. Um, back in uh, June of 2022, there were a number of us that partnered on hosting a uh, UP Community Workforce Summit. And one of the things that we did was try to identify what's happening with the workforce, focusing on recruitment and the retention. And some of the things we identified, just as a small example, was you know, a lot of agencies will do exit interviews with employees once, they, once they're leaving. But do they do stay interviews? Do you actually try to evaluate what's happening with individual employees while they're still enrolled or while they're still employed at your agency and being able to address things that might otherwise uh, result in somebody leaving your agency? Um, trying to take a look at some of that. There's been more flexibility demonstrated um, because of the pandemic, and I think we're still going to feel the effects right now of trying to figure out what is the new norm when it comes to hours and and wages and things like that um, settling down after the pandemic. But um, I think that we, we're doing a good job right now of, of trying to understand more about our current workforce, and I think we're also going to have to do some things that are more unique to try to figure out, you know, is job sharing something that would be realistic to be able to meet the needs of the community, you know, in the different geographic regions of the Upper Peninsula. You are currently engaged in some type of survey or study of, of people who are in the healthcare workforce, uh, sort of along that line, I suspect, to find out what they need, what they're doing, what they like, what they don't like, what we might be able to change. What are you looking for in that study? Uh, right now, uh, the NMU Center for Rural Health is partnering with InvestUP and the Michigan Health and Hospital Association uh, to really understand the, the needs right now of the, the healthcare workforce in the Upper Peninsula. Um, we don't want to level it to just physicians or just nurses. We want to know about all levels of um, employees at healthcare facilities, from marketing to IT. You know, even if you had the number of doctors you needed. If you don't have the number of nurses, it's you know it's not going to be it's not going to be a good situation as far as work goes. Yeah. If you don't have the marketing people to be able to say these are the services you provide, or you don't have the IT people to manage the the electronic health record, you know these are all things. Everything has to work together to make a facility really work. And we want to understand at Northern you know, what are the needs right now? What are they anticipating the near future needs to be? Are there other programs, degrees, apprenticeship programs? Are there other things that we could be building right now to meet the needs of our community? Other training programs, other ways to educate people? Um, 
we want to try to to rise to that challenge and meet the needs of the region, but we need to hear what those needs are. What are the uh, limits of this? Is this just doctors and hospitals? Are you reaching out to other branches of medical care, dentists and opticians, for example? Does it include long-term care facilities and such? Absolutely, yeah. Everything across the board that you just mentioned. Uh, We would like tribal centers, health centers, rural centers, uh, the clinics, the hospitals, the dentists, optometry, anything related to those health areas. Um, that's just a perfect example. If if there's something that isn't currently offered in the UP, is that something we can consider? Talking with Elise Burr from Northern Michigan University's Center for Rural Health here on Copper Country Today about uh, making sure that we have enough people here to keep us healthy and get us healthy if we're not healthy in the Upper Peninsula and here in the Copper Country. There has been over the last decade plus now a big consolidation of health care. There are very few independent little hospitals left across the Upper Peninsula. One of the premises for that was that if your hospital uh, hooked up with Aspirus or with uh, Duke LifePoint, it was at the time, that it would give us access to more expertise and it would give us access to more professionals to come up and provide health care here. Has it worked out that way? Um, I think we have seen uh, more specialists arrive in the region, um, and I think that'll continue to grow. Um, it, it does really take a community to support, you know, services. Um, and so there, there's a fine line between people leaving the area for a service versus um, being able to receive that care right here at home. There is a lot of coordinated efforts between agencies. Um, I know, for example, um, there was a time when I lived up in uh, the Hancock area that uh, UP Health System Portage uh, would coordinate care with Mayo Clinic, for example. There were people that may have gone to Mayo for initial diagnosis or surgeries, but returned home to be able to continue chemotherapy treatments and things such as at home. So there, there is more coordinated efforts right now to be able to continue to keep people within the region for services that are needed. And that's something that's extremely important, first of all, because of the the stress from travel, secondly, because of the expense from travel, and third, because, you know, it's just, you feel better at home, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Surrounded by, you know, familiar people, friends, loved ones, um, it, it just makes a difference in recovery. The couple of remaining independent hospitals, I don't know how many are left. Barriga County Memorial Hospital is still independent. Yeah, we have four up here. Okay, uh, Helen Newberry Joy, I think, still independent. Uh, and Schoolcraft. Schoolcraft. Um, are they going to continue to be able to stand alone, or are market forces going to push them into some other larger system? I think we have to wait and see. Um, I I strongly believe all four places are are very strong. They have outstanding services. Uh, They also have the ability to work together very well with others. And and that's part of what helps, you know, an agency survive. Um, So we'll have to kind of see what happens. Yeah, Rob Stowe from Barriga County Memorial Hospital was on this program a few weeks ago, and we were talking about a couple of programs that they had instituted. One was the one that I brought up earlier with the uh, access to mental health uh, mm-hmm. by remote. The other is uh, an on-staff person who is going to help coordinate veterans get benefits locally. And I asked him the question, you know, does your independence give you the flexibility, perhaps, to take part in those kinds of programs where maybe some of the other hospitals hospitals as part of larger systems uh, don't have that that nimbleness. 
Yeah, there's there's more red tape. You know, the larger the institution and, and the more um, hospitals associated within a system, there's more red tape. Um, so it is much quicker to make decisions like that. I will say um, that it's, it's a great program that you're talking about in Berga, working with the veterans. And a part of this, uh, part of the new programs that are getting developed also are because of the relationships that have been built with other partnering agencies. For example, the Michigan Center for Rural Health um, is what had driven that veteran program um, to take place. And so because of having that relationship, um, there's larger players involved, which can really elevate and support programming, you know, throughout our region. Well, and I suppose they're watching over this as well and have kind of the, the clout to say, hey, it's working here. Now we spread it around. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we're an example here at at, uh, at Northern. We have a the UP WIN grant. It's a Workforce Innovation Network grant. Um the Michigan Center for Rural Health, another example, they were the lead agency on the grant application that was able to provide this $1.4 million grant for us to be able to train community health workers throughout the UP. Uh, we brought a paramedic program back to UP Health System Marquette School of EMT, and now we're getting ready to build a community paramedicine program as a pilot program for the UP. So, um, you know, sometimes people balk about relationships that happen outside of the UP, but I don't think we celebrate enough how much of an impact some of this program makes when we actually work together. We lost a nursing program uh, recently with Finlandia University uh, ceasing its operations. How badly is that affecting things with no new nurses coming out of that school? Well, I, my understanding is that Michigan Tech has picked that up. And so um, I'm not sure there will be too much of a change, depending on how things um, continue to roll out at Michigan Tech. Um, I know that uh, in our area, over right now, over in Marquette, that Northern is coordinating with Saginaw Valley State right now on a psych nurse practitioner degree. And so I think that there's going to continue to be more programmatic um, types of certifications and educations uh, built in the UP, which is, you know, great for trying to fill our need up here. Yeah, Rick Kubek, the president of Michigan Tech, recently told me that they have taken on the bachelor's level programs from Finlandia. But I'm afraid that perhaps that leaves behind some of the lower-level programs, the CNA program, things of that nature that uh, maybe aren't at least being picked up right away. And that's where I'm hoping the survey will help capture some of that. You know, do, do we need to look at LPN programs again up here? They've come and gone a few times. You know, where are we right now with the demand for some of the other certification and level of care that's being provided? It's, it's great when you talk about trying to make a ladder where people can progress to a higher level, but then what happens when the bottom falls out on that? Yeah, and we have to consider, too, that there are a lot of people who are medically qualified who aren't working in the field right now. We lost some of them because of COVID. Um, Is there an effort that's being made to bring some of them back? I think uh, for a large majority of individuals who've made that decision that it's going to be up to them personally to determine whether or not they feel they're ready to return. And in the meantime, I think, you know, we need to respect some of the decisions that people have made if it's in their their best interest. Um, and then we need to focus on attracting new people. 
to the profession. And I have seen a number of youth all of a sudden get excited about wanting to make a difference in an area that right now might be lacking. And so, I mean, we have to embrace those students right now that are involved with the different HOSA organizations throughout the UP and really take a look at uh, the impact that the younger generation can make on our future up here. I think the other area right now that we're going to see a change in the near future has to do with caregiving. Um, caregivers are kind of a, you know, they've been like the unicorn. Uh, there's people that take care of other people. They don't have necessarily the same credentials or education or training across the board. They have extremely low wages. Um, and then there's people who just care for loved ones, family and, and relatives, you know, without any kind of curriculum or any kind of, um, you know, platform available to provide here's a curriculum, here is education, here is training, and being able to say everybody has the same level of experience now to be able to fulfill this need. Uh, there's a lot of work right now at the state level to actually identify and build a curriculum. Uh, I believe MDHHS has approved of one, um, and that we're going to see a lot more movement right now about being able to advance caregiving in the UP. And when you think of our our continuous aging population up here, um, that's that's going to be a huge need. Yeah, and we see that here certainly in the Copper Country, and I suspect they see it in other areas where folks who are now in their late 60s, 70s, into their 80s, they're still here, but the kids had to leave the area to follow career opportunities, find jobs in their chosen professions. So we have a lot of people here who are isolated and alone, which means we need a lot of people to watch over them don't we? Yes, absolutely. More than 30% of our population in the UP is age 65 and older and living alone. So do we have, you mentioned we're trying to create something that will create more people who will do that. Will there be the financial resources there to support those services? I believe since MDHHS is involved in this and that we're talking about making a movement at a state level, that it will be supported. What about other levels of uh, people? We need doctors, we need uh, nurse practitioners and such, people with the levels of expertise, and it's been kind of bandied about for years that they like to go to big cities and big city hospitals where they have a lot of uh, equipment to work with and a lot of challenging cases and a lot of money gets shelled out. Um, how are we doing on recruiting those people here? You know, it's it's really unique when it comes to trying to recruit people because you have to have somebody who, who enjoys the beauty that we have in the Upper Peninsula, the weather that we have, um, our community involvement. A lot of people will say that, you know, it's just up to a particular hospital or a clinic to identify who can come in and just do the job. But it really takes a community to make someone want to stay here and to put roots, to, you know, build a family and, and want to stay in the area. I've seen a lot of um, students come in, coming through colleges and universities that aren't from the area. And because of the relationships and their experience during that time, they return. And I think that says something about, you know, what we have up here. It's, it's just very unique and it's very special. And I think we're, we're fortunate to have the people who we do have. And that I think if we engage and um, kind of understand that it's up to all of us to build these relationships that we're only going to attract more talent and, and more um, 
more people to move here. I know when Central Michigan University started their medical school, and that's uh, been a bit of a controversial thing down in Mount Pleasant, but one of the goals there was to try to equip medical professionals to work in rural areas. They are now graduating people. Has that worked? You know, what I've, what I've seen over the years that I've been in this industry is that we have the loan forgiveness program where people will move to a rural area um, basically to get their loan forgiven. Um, some of those individuals really get rooted in their communities and they stay. Others, the minute that loan is paid off, they move on. It, it's good if you're trying to fill a seat, you know, and be able to provide a service, but if you're really looking for somebody long-term, it takes more than just loan forgiveness to get people to, to stay. Yeah, and it brings up a loaded question here, and I'm not quite sure how we address it. But if, in fact, we are attractive to only a small percentage of people coming out of medical schools, does that mean that we don't necessarily get looks at the best practitioners? Oh, I think, I mean, I've seen plenty of different ages of people move here to, for work, so I don't believe it's just a younger generation. Um, we also have physicians that don't decide to become doctors till later in life. Um, we had a doctor at one point that had moved from uh, Louisiana to be here, and he was in his late 50s. So, um, you know, we're, we're seeing all, all different ages of people that are joining the workforce right now, and I think that... Um, you know, when people come up to visit, it's it's who do they get to meet? Who do they get to engage with? It's selling the area. It's not just selling a particular business. And I, I kind of feel like we're all in that together when it comes to that. Yeah, I think we are. And we are out of time. Elise Burr from Northern Michigan University's Center for Rural Health. Thank you for your insights. And the effort continues to make sure that we all have access to good health care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.